Section 23 of Ontario Public School Geography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Shepherd. Ontario Public School Geography by the Educational Book Company of Toronto, Section 23, North America, The United States of America, Part 1. Position, Extent, and People. The United States of America extends from Canada on the north to Mexico and the Gulf of Mexico on the south, and from the Atlantic Ocean on the east to the Pacific Ocean on the west. Not including Alaska and other dependencies, it has an area somewhat smaller than that of Canada, but it has a population about twelve times as great. The majority of the people in the United States are of European extraction, with the British element predominating. Germans, French, Spaniards, Italians, Swedes, Norwegians, Poles, Russians, Hungarians, and Jews have emigrated in large numbers to the United States during the last fifty years. The Negroes, who are the descendants of slaves, form about ten percent of the population. They live chiefly in the southeastern states. The Indians, who formerly occupied the whole country, are now mainly confined to reserves, and are not increasing very much in numbers. Dependencies The United States has acquired in the last sixty years certain territories beyond its own boundaries. In 1867, Alaska was taken over from Russia. Later, the Hawaiian Islands voluntarily joined the United States. Puerto Rico and the Philippine Islands were acquired as the result of a war with Spain, and three of the Virgin Islands were purchased from Denmark. In 1903, the Panama Canal Zone was obtained by purchase from the Republic of Panama. The United States possesses also a number of small islands in the Pacific Ocean. Surface and Divisions the general features of the surface of the United States have already been considered. In the east there is the Atlantic Slope, narrow in the north, but broadening rapidly toward the south. Back of the eastern slope is the Appalachian Highland, steep and abrupt upon its eastern face, but sloping gently toward the great central plain. West of the Mississippi River, the ground rises gradually to the western highland, which, with its wide plateaus and basins, occupies about a third of the country. An adequate knowledge of the surface of the United States, however, requires a more detailed study. The six states occupying the northern part of the Appalachian Highland form a distinct group, known collectively as New England. These states are, in general, rough and rocky. Of the mountains, the best known are the Berkshire Hills in Massachusetts, the Green Mountains in Vermont, and the White Mountains in New Hampshire. In the north, Thousands of small lakes dot the surface, but some of them are little more than swamps. The rivers, for the most part, flow southward. Flowing from the upland, they are short and rapid, with numerous waterfalls. Many of them are tidal. The coastline is very uneven. In some parts it is rocky and rugged, while in others there are long stretches of waste and sand. There are, however, both on the coast and on the numerous small offshore islands, many safe harbors, which are of great use to the fishermen. The surface of the middle states of the Atlantic coast consists of four fairly well-defined divisions. Along the sea coast lies the Atlantic coastal plain. Rising abruptly from the plain is the Piedmont Plateau, the edge of which is called the Fall Line. This plateau borders on the Appalachian Mountains, 
which extend in parallel ranges through the middle states. West of the Appalachians is the Appalachian Plateau, sloping toward the Ohio and the Mississippi rivers. The surface of the middle states is well drained by many large rivers, the chief being the Hudson, Delaware, Susquehanna, Potomac, James, flowing to the Atlantic, and the Ohio flowing to the Mississippi. There are many lakes, principally in the northern section. Champlain is the largest of these. There are along the coast numerous bays, such as the Chesapeake and Delaware. South of the middle states are the southern states of the Atlantic coast. In these states, the coastal plain is much broader, and includes all Florida and about half of the other three states. It is generally flat, with sand hills covered with pine forests in the central section. It has also many swamps, the best known of which are the Everglades of southern Florida. These are a tangle of water, mud, roots, underbrush, and small trees. Only the Indians can find their way through their intricate mazes. Back of the plain is the Piedmont Plateau and the Appalachian Highland. The rivers in these states are not important for navigation. The savannah is the chief. The coastline is generally low, with sandy beaches and sandy offshore islands, very dangerous to navigation. South of Florida are a large number of small coral islands known as Florida Keys. The bays along the coast are few, and there are few good harbors. Almost the entire region occupied by the southern states of the Mississippi Valley is a great coastal plain. In some parts, however, there are highlands. The Appalachians extend into Tennessee and Alabama in a highland known as the Cumberland Plateau. Parts of Oklahoma and Arkansas are occupied by the Ozark and other low mountains. The western part of Texas is in the western highland. The Mississippi, after it is joined by the Ohio, flows through low-lying lands all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. In order to prevent the river from overflowing its banks, embankments, or levees, have been built. Frequently, a sudden flood sweeps away the levees with disastrous consequences to life and property. In the lowlands, on both sides of the river near its mouth, are innumerable small streams known as bayous, which form an extensive swamp. The present delta of the Mississippi is of immense extent, forming a large part of the surface of Louisiana. The principal tributaries of the Mississippi in this section are the Arkansas and the Red from the west. The surface of the northern states of the Mississippi Basin is largely a level plain, sloping gently from the Appalachians on the east to the Mississippi River and rising in an easy slope from the Mississippi westward to the Rocky Mountains. There are highlands, however, in many of the states. The Ozark Mountains occupy the southern part of Missouri, while West Virginia and part of Kentucky lie within the Appalachian Plateau. There are also highlands in Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and the two Dakotas. The greater part of this huge area is drained by the Mississippi River and its two tributaries, the Ohio and the Missouri. The rivers of Michigan, however, flow for the most part into the Great Lakes, while parts of North Dakota and Minnesota are drained into Hudson Bay through the Red River. West of the states of the Mississippi Valley are the Plateau states. The great mass of the Rocky Mountains runs through these states from north to south. On the west of the Rockies, a part of the surface is included in the Columbia Plateau, a part in the Great Basin, and a part in the Colorado Plateau 
while the Sierra Madre Mountains occupy a portion of the southwestern section. On the east of the Rockies, part of the surface is included in the Great Plain. Almost the entire plateau is a mile above the level of the sea. The scenery among the mountains is very grand. The government has set aside three great national parks, the Grand Canyon of the Colorado, the Yellowstone National Park, and the Glacier National Park. The Grand Canyon is one of the wonders of the world. This canyon, through which runs the Colorado River, is in many places a mile deep and from two to twelve miles wide. The Yellowstone National Park, most of which is in Wyoming, has much magnificent scenery, canyons, waterfalls, geysers, and hot springs. The coloring of the rocks in the canyon of the Yellowstone River is superb. The Glacier National Park in Montana has many beautiful mountains, glaciers, and lakes. The Pacific Coast states lie along the coast of the Pacific Ocean from Canada to Mexico. The surface of these states is almost everywhere mountainous. The coastal range parallels the Pacific Ocean. East of this is the Cascade Range in the north and the Sierra Nevada in the south. The Sierra Nevadas are very high mountains and contain Mount Whitney, the highest peak in the United States. The Cascade Range is not so high as the Sierra Nevadas, but it is broader and has many noble peaks. Between the Coast Range and the Cascade Range in the north lies the Willamette Valley, and between the Sierra Nevadas and the Coast Range in the south is the Great Valley of Central California. The Pacific Coast states are rich in beautiful natural parks reserved by the government for the benefit of the people. Among these are the famous Yosemite Valley in California, Crater Lake in Oregon, and the Mount Rainier National Park in Washington. The coastline from Puget Sound to Southern California is so regular that with the exception of San Francisco Bay, there are practically no good harbors. Climate. In New England and the northern middle states, the summers are warm and the winters cold. The prevailing winds are from the west, but frequently they change and blow from the east and the northeast, bringing raw and chilly weather. In the southern section of the middle states, it is much warmer, owing partly to the latitude and partly to the absence of cold winds from the ocean. Everywhere the climate is subject to rapid changes. The rainfall over the whole region is abundant. The climate of the southern Atlantic states varies according to latitude and altitude, but it is almost everywhere warm and pleasant. On the coast the climate is influenced both in summer and in winter by the warm winds from the ocean. It is much cooler on the Piedmont Plateau than on the coastal plain, and cooler still on the Appalachian Highland. The winter climate is, on the whole, so delightful that all the South Atlantic states, especially Florida, are thronged with visitors from the north during the winter months. Along the coast of the southern Mississippi states, the temperature is never extreme, since the heat of summer is moderated by the winds from the Gulf of Mexico. As the distance from the Gulf increases, the summer temperature becomes somewhat higher. In the uplands, snow sometimes falls in winter, and ice forms on the small lakes and ponds. The rain is abundant, especially in the south. Western Texas and Oklahoma, however, have less rain as they are not influenced by the winds from the Gulf and are shut off from the winds of the Pacific by the mountains. In general, the climate of the northern states of the Mississippi Valley is warm in summer and clear and cold in winter. The rainfall is less in the west and southwest than it is in the southeast, but the prevailing westerlies bring sufficient rain over almost the entire region. 
In the southwest, cyclonic storms are frequent and sometimes do much damage. The waters of the Great Lakes moderate the climate of the states adjacent to them. The climate of the Plateau states shows many variations. As these stretch from Canada on the north to Mexico on the south, a distance of 1,200 miles, it is obvious that it may be snowing in Montana while it is uncomfortably hot in Arizona or New Mexico. The rainfall is nowhere abundant. In fact, except among the highest mountains, the climate of this vast district is very dry. The rainfall in the Great Basin is so small and the evaporation so rapid that the streams from the mountains either disappear or empty into the salt lakes with which the surface of the basin is dotted. A good example of these salt lakes is Great Salt Lake in Utah, which has an area of 2,500 square miles. The climate throughout the Pacific Coast states, except among the high mountains, is never very cold. Generally, it is delightful. The rainy season comes during the winter. The winds from the Pacific bring an abundance of moisture, heaviest in Washington and Oregon, and decreasing toward the south, so that frequently Southern California is very dry. The climate is more equable along the coast than it is farther inland. Agriculture On the whole, New England cannot be considered a good agricultural country. In many districts the soil is thin and poor, while in others it is filled with boulders and small stones. There is, however, some fertile soil, especially in the valleys of the larger rivers and in the Lake Champlain district. The farms are generally small and are devoted to market gardening, poultry raising, and dairying. The large cities scattered all through New England easily use all the vegetables, milk, butter, cheese, poultry, and eggs that are produced in their neighborhood. Massachusetts is particularly famed for its onions and cranberries and the valley of the Connecticut River for its tobacco. Agriculture is of much greater importance in the Middle Atlantic states than it is in New England. The rich soil and the moist climate, together with the early spring and the late autumn, are favorable to farming in all its branches. With the exception of the Appalachian Highland, almost all the land is good. Wheat, oats, barley, and rye are raised, but the farmers have found that these grains can be grown on the western prairies and shipped to the great eastern cities much more cheaply than they can be produced in the Middle Atlantic states. These states are, therefore, turning their attention more and more to fruit farming, dairying, market gardening, and poultry raising. Immense quantities of tobacco are produced in Virginia, where the peanut is also a staple crop. As a result of the large quantities of fruits and vegetables grown on the farms, a huge industry in the canning of these products has sprung up. Many farmers dispose of their entire crop to the canning factories. Most of the people of the southern Atlantic states and of the southern states of the Mississippi Valley are engaged in the cultivation of the soil. Cotton, tobacco, rice, and sugarcane are the principal products. The islands along the coast of Georgia and South Carolina yield much sea island cotton, the fibers of which are long and very strong. Market gardening is also a very profitable industry. As the growing season opens much earlier than in the north, these southern states are able to supply the northern markets with early vegetables and fruits. Florida also produces oranges, lemons, grapefruit, and pineapples. In the southern sections, corn and wheat are grown, particularly in Oklahoma. In western Texas and in Oklahoma, the ranching industry is of prime importance. On the great ranches of these two states are raised vast herds of cattle, horses, and mules. Texas is one of the great cattle states of the Union. 
As a general rule, the surface of the northern Mississippi states is good agricultural land. The soil is rich and deep, and there is a long growing season with sufficient rainfall and abundance of sunshine. In the western section, however, irrigation is necessary in many parts. Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Ohio, and Indiana are the chief corn-growing states. The corn is used for the fattening of cattle and hogs, so that an immense meat-packing industry has grown up in the corn belt, as these states are called. Wheat is the big crop in Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska, Indiana, and in the states adjoining the Canadian border. Oats, barley, and rye are raised in large quantities in all the states, while in many parts flax is cultivated for the oil from its seeds. Sugar beets and potatoes, grown chiefly in Michigan and Wisconsin, celery, apples, and grapes in Michigan, and hay in Ohio are other important crops. Tobacco is cultivated on a large scale in Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, and Wisconsin. The western section of the northern states is given over chiefly to ranching. Millions of horses, cattle, and sheep wander over the ranges almost at will. Sheep, cattle, and horses are raised in immense numbers in the plateau states. As the grass is everywhere somewhat thin and the water scarce, the herds have to be moved frequently and large ranges are needed. But while the grass is sufficient for pasturage, there is, in general, not sufficient rain for the growing of crops. Recourse, therefore, has been had to irrigation. Since its introduction, the Great American Desert, as this district was formerly called, has completely changed. Marvelous results have been achieved. Large crops of sugar beets, alfalfa, wheat, and other grains are grown, but more attention is paid to the cultivation of small fruits and vegetables. Agriculture is of the greatest importance in the three states along the Pacific coast. Washington and Oregon grow wheat, barley, hops, and sugar beets, and the rich soil of the valleys yields wonderful crops of apples, plums, strawberries, and small fruits generally. California grows wheat, barley, and sugar beets, but its most valuable crop is fruit. The subtropical climate, the even temperature, and the ample sunshine bring all kinds of fruits, temperate and tropical, to perfection. Oranges, lemons, grapefruit, figs, grapes, apples, plums, pears, apricots, and olives, as well as almonds and walnuts. Fruit farming is carried on scientifically, assisted by the most modern methods of irrigation. The fruit is carefully packed and shipped so that it reaches the markets of the world in first-class condition. Side by side with fruit growing, there is a large industry in the canning of fruit and in the drying of grapes into raisins and of plums into prunes. Stock raising and dairy farming are of importance. The butter, milk, and cheese from the farms find a ready sale. There are also large sheep ranches, and poultry raising is engaging the attention of more and more farmers. End of section 23. Recording by Doug Shepard.